Shalom, everyone. This is Elliot Schoenberg speaking, International Director of Placement for the Rabbinical Assembly, and I'd like to welcome you to Chodesh Tov, a monthly podcast where we ask various scholars of the conservative movement to share with us their latest ideas and most recent research on what's going on in their particular field of Jewish studies. We are privileged today that Chodesh Tov will be presented by Dr. Jeffrey Hoffman, Professor of Liturgy and Rabbi-in-Residence at the Academy for Jewish Religion in New York. He holds a doctorate in liturgy from JTS and has published a number of studies of Jewish liturgy and served as the editor of the Rabbinical Assembly Sidur Tisha B'Av. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. I want to talk about performance theory's impact on Jewish liturgy. When many of us were taught liturgy, the assumption was that worship equals words. Explain the words of a prayer, and you've explained the meaning of a prayer. This is true, really, for traditional perushim, as well as this and shot from Leopold Suntz, all the way down to Ismar Elbogin and beyond. However, even devoted worshipers who may not have a degree in religion understand that words alone do not explain a prayer as it is actually said in a worship service, and that's the key. There's something to explaining the words on a page when you, when you are studying it and just explaining the, uh, the lexical meaning, but when you're actually experiencing a prayer in a worship service, there's much more going on. Many worshipers who don't understand Hebrew well still derive a great deal of meaning from traditional worship services. How is that? Well, since the 1980s or so, approaches called variously performance theory, performance studies, and a related field, ritual studies, have matured and have have been brought to bear on Christian and Jewish liturgy to help explain this sort of phenomenon. Now, I want to make clear, this is not about worship as heartfelt prayer versus worship as mere performance. It's not the kind of thing when we say, oh, that shliach tibor or that cantor is giving a great performance and he or she doesn't even realize it should be prayer. That's not the meaning of performance we have in mind with with this type of approach. In this type of approach, performance means that we take actions very seriously as meaningful on their own, regardless of the words said. Performance can be viewed as a continuum of human actions, ranging from ritual, play, sports, popular entertainment, and the performing arts, all the way to the enactment of social, professional, gender, race, class roles, to healing, from shamanism to surgery, to the media and the Internet. Lots of things can be viewed as performance. Before performance studies, Western thinkers believed they knew exactly what was and what was not performance. But in fact, there is no historically or culturally fixable limit to what is or is not performance. Anything that involves action may be viewed as performance and may be studied for the meaning and symbolism therein involved. So, specifically, in Jewish liturgy, how is this applied? 
First and foremost, it involves a different sensibility to studying worship. It involves viewing the following as just as important as the words said. Bodily postures, vocal variations, the role of music, the venue of worship, and additional elements. I'm going to talk especially about bodily postures just because of the limits of time, and uh, you get a sense of what I mean. So, for example, in a worship service, sometimes people sit. Performance Studies asks, what does sitting connote? So you could say it connotes comfort and rela relaxation, and in a worship setting, it may be most appropriate for attention to a text or to inner realities, whereas standing often signifies attention to an outer reality. We've risen to acknowledge the presence of someone or some force outside of ourselves. We rise to recognize it. Standing even at ease, so to speak, implies a level of respect. And much of the time that Jews rise in services, it is standing at ease. For example, the Torah service, Hallel, the beginning and the end of Psuche de Zimra, reciting Kaddish, and so on. We also, of course, stand at attention in the Amidah, in the Kedushah, and that implies a higher level of respect. Now, by contrast, a few years ago, I taught liturgy in Moscow for JTS. And I noticed that in the Russian Orthodox Church, there are no chairs or benches. One stands for the whole service in discomfort as part of one's worship. And the symbolism here is that one evinces some sacrifice and pain. And on a Sunday service, we're not talking about a quick service. This is a long service. And the point is that that worship is not about the worshiper attaining some sort of inner equilibrium. It is about the worshiper displaying adoration for God and Jesus and the angels and the saints, and that involves some self-sacrifice and pain. And all of that symbolism is, is beyond whatever words or music uh, involved. It is all about the performance, the action, the bodily gestures in this case. Additionally, in Jewish worship services, of course, there was bowing. There's a number of kinds of bowing. And bowing is a universal symbol of submission. We put our head on our arm in Tachanun. And that itself is a, has a very interesting history, uh, also rem uh, reminiscent of submission. Jews also dance occasionally in worship. Hakafot, on Sukkot, Simchat Torah. That is, of course, a representation of joy. All of these bodily postures are evaluated according to performance theory on the basis of what that action or set of action, a set of actions adds to the activity above and beyond whatever words are uttered. If the actions or accoutrement are beyond, beyond the words, let me say that again, it is the actions or the accoutrement beyond the words that is the subject here. Now, I mentioned the role of vocal variations. What I mean by that, that includes what language is being used, how familiar is the person with the language, chanting out loud or silently. So, for example, in the Amidah, one is supposed to chant, silent, chant uh, quietly, but not silently. 
And the symbolism here may be that we are actually recognizing that there is an outer reality, some presence, who is so close to us that that presence can hear us. That's why it's not supposed to be silent. That's an, a, a, an example of vocal variation. Role of music, the venue of worship, lots of examples that, that can be mentioned. But I want to give uh, a source or two in, in the very few moments left uh, to me about bowing to drive home the point that uh, our sages actually were sensitive to some of these elements. Uh, so, for example, in the Babylonian Talmud in Megillah 23a, different types of bowing are defined. Each of them is given a verse, but I'm going to skip the verses and just share with you Tanu Rabbanan Kida al Apaim. Zo pishut yadayim v'raglayim. Kida al b'ritayim. So, kida is a kind of bowing in which you touch your your uh, head to the floor. Tishtachava'a is the spreading out of hands and feet entirely. Kriya is on the knees. And in terms of the power of bowing, just a very quick... Uh, Incident recorded on that page, it says, Levi Achve Kida Kameda Rebbe Be'itla. The sage Levi displayed a Kida, this bowing to the, the head to the floor in the presence of Rebbe, and he became lame. And the Gemara here discusses what's the reason for it. Maybe it was some insolence of his in the prayer, but it also says it may have been the, the very action of the Kida itself. So there is a power to it. Maybe part of the teaching here is one has to be careful how you use this particular bodily position. It can elicit an immediate and maybe even a negative or dangerous response from God. Another one. This is quite an amazing source from um, Otsar HaGaonim on Brachot and the Tshuva side, number 181. A very brief two-liner goes as follows. In the Tshuva of the Gaonim, I found when a person bows at Modim, of course in the Amidah, that person must bow to his knees because an infant, while still in the womb of his mother, is, posi is positioned with his head between his thighs and his circumcision in his mouth. And because of this, a person must bow to the knees. Now, this is obviously somewhat weird, if not kind of shocking, because when it says his circumcision is in his mouth, it means his penis is in his mouth. But the idea may be that when we bow in thanksgiving at Modim, we should return to a prenatal position, perhaps a quote-unquote natural state of humankind. And that's the proper, perhaps primordial uh, position that we should take when we want to show our gratitude. So this is, this is just a, a couple of examples of the power of applying performance studies to uh, to 
worship, to specifically to Jewish worship, and uh, it it takes us a little bit away from the lexical-centered way and intellectual-centered way that we usually think of liturgy, and it can open for us all kinds of things. So uh, if, if anyone wants to follow up on this, I just want to mention a couple of resources, and then I'll sign off. Um, one is Lawrence A. Hoffman's book, Beyond the Text, from 1989. Another scholar from Israel, Uri Ehrlich, The Nonverbal Language of Prayer, from 2004, translation of his Hebrew book. And uh, you can go online and look at any of the uh, publications of the American Academy for Religion in their Ritual Studies group. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. This is Jeff Hoffman signing off.